Well, I welcome you again this morning, and uh, I'm Mike, the senior pastor here, and it's great to see you, especially if you're visiting or home from college on Christmas break. It's fun to get to see everybody back in church uh, in this time. This morning, I want to speak to you on the topic of lordship and what it means to have Jesus as your Lord not just your Savior, but your Lord. And as I was thinking about that this week, I went on the internet and was reading up on anarchy, you know, that topic. I don't read much about anarchy, haven't thought much about it. Uh, I know what the red A looks like, the people spray paint on walls, and usually what it means is I don't like the current government, so I spray paint anarchy here. But I wanted to hear what advocates of that view of government or, or view of no government would have to say. And I came across some comical things. One comment that I read that really made me laugh was um, sort of tongue-in-cheek, but a person said, a group of us got together and decided to start an anarchy group, but it failed because no one would follow the rules. <laughs> Which, of course, made me laugh out loud, right? Anarchy is no authority. It's no rules. We don't follow anything. We do whatever we want. And I went on reading in these blogs, and another um, person was actually serious, was trying to make a case for places where no authority seems to function. And this particular author talked about um, out in international waters where there's maritime law, but it doesn't, you know, especially with pirates, it doesn't really have any bearing on their lives. And they started talking about how the pirates came up with a way to function in anarchy and the captains would have a code or, you know, as Jack Sparrow Captain Jack said, stick to the code. There's a code of ethics. And I thought, well, then it's no longer anarchy. It's now just a question of the captain having the power, the authority, and his people have to submit to that or walk the plank, right? The point in this is that there is no place anywhere for us or anybody that is without authority. There is no place in what we might call true freedom, what people try to call true freedom. There's no place where there is no authority. And the question I'm asking this morning as I approach the passage from Micah is this one, and it's for me or for you, and for you. Who or what rules me? Who or what rules me? Who is my Lord? What, is, what or who is the Lord of my life that, that oversees, that is in control? Because I'm not. And I am very much aware of that. My goal this morning in this message is to try to provoke you to think about whether or not you can have freedom and where it's found. And I want you to get to the place where I've arrived, and that is that true freedom is found only under Christ as our Lord. So I want you to consider why you should make him your Lord instead of something else. In order to do that, you're going to need to think a little bit about what else might be your Lord. Now, we're in a series... It's Advent. There are four weeks of Advent. It's the easiest to count because we have four purple candles, so we keep track. Um, this is the fourth week, and in this preaching series, we've, we've called it Prepare the Way, and the subtitle of that was Centering the Season Around Christ. So imagine Christ and then us revolving around him. And that is something that takes intentional work because most of us function more like I'm at the center, and I want Christ to come and serve me, and I want you to serve me, and I want everybody else to be centered on me. That's the natural way for us. However, we are being invited to center our lives on Christ, and I'm suggesting that true freedom actually happens there. Christians choose to center their lives on Christ. It is not something that they are coerced to do. 
It's not something that is for, can be forced on them. It's not something that's accidental or even a birthright. If you are born into a Christian family, that does not make you a Christian any more than walking into a garage makes you a car, right? You have to choose to become a Christian. Even if you're in a Christian family, at some point you have to get to the place where you say, Jesus, you are now my Lord. I want to follow you. You are my king. And hand off your previous Lord. And you say, but wait a minute, I don't have a previous Lord. Well, and that's what I'm calling into question this morning. Who or what rules you? Because something does. There's not one of us that is without a Lord. It's just a question of who the Lord is, who your Lord is. Nikki Gumbel, who uh, founded the Alpha Course at Holy Trinity uh, Church in Brompton in England, in London, um, tells an illustration of going to a kid's soccer game. And the parents were there, the kids were there, but the ref was delayed and didn't show up. So the parents decided, well, let's just run the game without the ref. But they didn't have a whistle, they didn't have a referee shirt, and they didn't have the flags that you put in the corner of the field. So they had no boundaries marking the field, and they had no one enforcing any kind of rules. And they thought, well, the kids will just play and it'll, they'll get some exercise. But as you know, you already know where this is going, even if you didn't go to the Alpha Course, it deteriorated into one kid over here crying because he got pushed down, another kid over here bullying with the ball, and they didn't stop when it went out of bounds because they didn't know where the bounds were, and it just turned into a terrible mess. It wasn't freedom. Then the ref showed up, blew his whistle, put the flags in, and then set in place the order and the rules. And then the kids were free to play the game and compete hard against one another because there was somebody helping them. There was authority that was good over them. Or I'll give you another illustration from when I went on the mission trip a couple of years ago with our team to Peru. I got out of the, I didn't know what to expect exactly there. I got out of the airport and we all got into one of those little little vans that they were shuttling the team in and immediately merged onto what I would guess is a four-lane highway, except there were no lanes. It was just wide asphalt and cars going everywhere. Just a stream of random cars going everywhere and everyone working their horn. I mean, that was probably the most important thing that you would try out if you were buying a car in Peru is how does the horn sound? Because I'm going to be needing it every turn. One hand on the horn, one on the wheel and just like every, I mean, and I thought maybe they just know how to drive in this kind of environment. And then I started looking around at the cars Every fender was bent in every car. And I realized it's not better. It actually is very dangerous. So I stopped watching the road. I started praying. I actually turned back and started pretending I was calm and talking to the rest of our team about what we were going to do when we got to where we were going. I was blown away. Now, here's the thing about this is it's a question of freedom. I'm asking the question of freedom. And we are either subject to the rules of the road and staying in our lanes and using our turn signals or we are subject to accidents, damage, death, tickets, fines, fill in the blank. That's what happens without some kind of oversight. And the same thing is true morally. It's not just about government, it's not just about the highways and roads, it's a moral thing. And in our lives, if we subject ourselves to God's lordship, we experience a freedom that is not there if we don't. And I'll give you an example from King David, right? He was the king of Israel, so he had a lot of authority in his own office. But he abused it and took something that didn't belong to him. He he just kind of cast off restraint and saw a beautiful woman and said, I want that. Objectified her and took her for a moment of pleasure. And I would argue that it wasn't even good because it wasn't a heart connection. It didn't have the months of courting and all that goes into a true relationship. He just took something temporary and thought he had freedom. 
but immediately found that he did not. If he had not done it, he had more freedom. But once he did it, he was now bound to lie, to cheat, to deceive, eventually murder. He lost the respect of his, of his commanders. The baby that was conceived died as judgment, and shame entered in. So in which case was he more free? Obviously, he was freer under God's rule than he was doing what he wanted to do. The same is true for us, no matter what it is, how big or small. Now, I want you to turn with me to Micah. This is, I'm going to tell you the page number, 778. Um, Micah is one of the minor prophets, and again, not because what he says is not important, just because he's short. He writes very short. He doesn't have many words compared to the other prophets. So he's on page 778 in the Pew Bibles. And I want to make the observation that Jesus is a ruler, and he's a ruler worth following. In fact, the best ruler that you could have. This is the passage in Micah 5 from which all the Pharisees and the leaders in Jesus' day figured out where the Messiah was supposed to be born. Remember, they, they were searching to see when's the Messiah coming and where's he, where will he come from? And this passage tells us that this ruler is going to be born in Bethlehem. But that was a problem for them because they didn't know the story like we do. See, Jesus was called Jesus of Nazareth. But why? It was because when he was born in Bethlehem, Herod was threatened by that and sought to kill all of the, the boys that were born in a two-year period. So the Holy Spirit led them out of that town and down into Egypt to hide for a couple of years. Dan will talk to us on January 3rd a little bit more about the flight to Egypt and its significance. But when they come back, one of Herod's sons was in power and they didn't want to stay near that. So they, they went up and moved to the north, to Nazareth, and that's where they raised Jesus. So the Pharisees were confused. The Bible says he'd be born in Bethlehem, but he's Jesus of Nazareth. Look and see, nothing, he, the, the Messiah's not born there. And then, then they say, what good can come out of Nazareth, right? But if we understand this, we know the story, he was born in Bethlehem, which is really close to Jerusalem. So the Magi come in, they visit Herod and say, where's the king to be born? And he doesn't know anything about it. They follow the star to Bethlehem. So this is the passage that they use to figure out where he's coming from. This prophecy is important for us. But I want to point to verse 2. Look at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Why be subject to Jesus? I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. From this passage, I think the reason we should be subject to Jesus is he is referred to as the one coming from ancient days. He's ancient, and I don't mean a couple thousand years. I mean, before time began, Jesus was. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed forever. And just because something is old doesn't necessarily mean you should submit to it, but the reason it talks about him as being of ancient days is because that, that ancient um, he doesn't have a beginning. That ancient, whatever you would call it, that time for which he's been around means that he's wise. He's wise above all things. He's seen it all. There are no surprises to God. He is competent to rule because he created all things and sustains them in the very palm of his hand. Think about our situation in our country right now. Obviously, all the candidates are you know, debating and lobbying back and forth. And there are some real difficult issues Healthcare for one, foreign policy for another. There's no magic bullet. There's no easy way to solve the healthcare challenges in our country. 
Think about the whole universe. If just healthcare is that complex, how much more complex the rest of the universe? The Ancient of Days is able to rule because he has wisdom, because he has understanding, because he knows all things. If that's true for the universe, it's true for your life. There are things in your life that you can't solve, but he can. And if you trust him and follow his lead, you start to find that the, the truly wise one is leading you in a way that gives you a freedom that was not there when you tried to be the Lord of your own life. So he's worth following because of his complete understanding. Second, flip over to verse four. In verse four, he, it mentions him ruling in God's strength. It says, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. This passage here um, is telling us something about Jesus and how he rules. Jesus had great spiritual authority because he subjected himself to the Father's authority. The more you are willing to submit yourselves to authority, the more authority you start to have in your own life. He said, I only say what I hear from the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. My words are not my own. Jesus' entire ministry was a reflection of God, the Father's will. And he marveled at an occurrence when a centurion came to him and said, Rabbi, would you heal my servant who is sick? And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But you remember what he said? The centurion said, no, no, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Simply say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he says, for I too am a man under authority and I have men under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And Jesus had said, marveled at this. Because this centurion, a man of the military, understood something, that there was freedom under authority. And he looked at Jesus and he realized the huge spiritual authority that Jesus was wielding was coming because he was under the Father's authority. And Jesus marveled at this because he understood how the kingdom of God worked. Now, the lie of the devil is do whatever you want. And he tries to get us to reject good authority in our lives. And when we do that, we get hurt. We actually become enslaved to things that hurt us. So I wonder where your heart is on that one. Do you delight to hand over lordship to Jesus? Or do you secretly keep running away from him, rebelling, turning away, and thinking there's something better? Or somehow you have more freedom if you don't trust him? That's what the lie of the enemy is. That's what he would have us do, is reject Jesus. Now going a little further, it says in verse 4, And they shall dwell secure... For he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So he provides security. Think of the difference between the word security and let's say the word restraint or constraint. Think of a straitjacket, right? That holds a person like this and they can't move their arms and they, can't, they just can't do anything. They are totally being restrained. That's different than being secure, safe in a place where you're taken care of. And what the enemy wants to say is God tries to constrain you and hold you back. He's stealing from you. He's cheating you. He thinks you'll be, you, you want to be like him. He, Satan tries to get us to want to be like God instead of trust God and then experience the freedom of doing so. So he's promising that this ruler, the one who would come, who's born in Bethlehem, is the one who will give security to those who submit to his lordship. It's about security, not about restraint or constraint. 
I think I've told you about this kid, Kyle, before, but when I was a youth pastor in Texas, there was a kid named Kyle that was on the fringes of the youth ministry and uh, was friends with one of the kids whose family was really connected. And, and um, Kyle's parents were not in a good place. If I had to guess, they're probably divorced now. Their marriage wasn't very strong. They both worked full-time jobs that demanded a lot of them, and they didn't really look after their household. So Kyle was a teenager who had a house that was empty all the time, and he had no one really looking over him. Now, some of his friends who were kicking against their own parents' authority looked at Kyle and thought, man, that's amazing. You've got so much freedom. But you know what he didn't have? He didn't have security. It was frightening to have that much freedom. He could literally do whatever impulsive thing he thought of doing and at times did those things to his own detriment. And that made that kind of freedom scary. It was too much. So do you know where Kyle hung out almost all the time? Over at his friend's house, where his friend's dad worked out of the house, so he was there during the day, and his mom was there too, and they had, you know, they had a nice house and a swimming pool and a little pond in the backyard you could fish in. They also had rules. In our house, this is how it goes. No, Kyle, you can't do that, but here's this for you. And he felt secure there when he came over to that house. And the reason is because there is actually more freedom under good authority than there is elsewhere. Because there's no such thing as true freedom as the devil would try to get you to think there is. It's just a question of what what are you going to be bound to? We, We sang a song earlier which talked about Jesus setting us free from shame. That is like a ball and chain around us. And it comes from disobeying God. We don't just disobey God and then experience bliss. We disobey God and do harm to ourselves and others and then experience guilt and shame and these shortcomings and frustrations, and we don't experience the security and the peace that this ruler promises. These are incredible things that he promises to us. And as they say, Jesus says, we need to say, thy will be done, or else he will say, thy will be done. He doesn't coerce us or force us. He's simply saying, here's what my will is. I invite you to come and live under it. If you don't want to, I will simply give you what you want, which is to do your own thing and deal with those consequences, which are never good. So let's talk some practical things. I'm going to assume that you're thinking, okay, what does it look like to have Jesus as my Lord, to submit to his authority? What can I do to get there? Because we're talking about a complete overhaul of our lives to bring them under his lordship, which is an unusual thing. It takes a little while to get there. And I want to suggest that you start with a couple of things. One is meals. When you receive something to eat, do you just eat it or do you pause and give thanks for God who provides? I know personally many of you do pray at meals because I've been at meals with you and you've prayed. And why that's so important as a starting point is it recognizes that things come from God who's who's our provider and we are receiving at his generosity. It's a step towards submission to his lordship to say, all things come from you, God. Thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies. We're grateful for your provision. That is an act of submission to his lordship. It's a simple thing, and it's easy to start doing. And another thing is, in order to obey him, we have to know what he wants. So we have to actually read his word and receive his word and spend time studying it. Get a Bible, read through it, Start asking the questions. What does God want for my life? I think about that first uh, psalm that talks about the man who, the blessed man is the one who delights in the law of God and meditates on his day, on his, on his law day and night. 
And it, it describes him as being a tree planted by a living stream that brings forth its season and due fruit and its leaf, leaf doesn't wither. That's a picture of the blessedness of delighting in God's law, taking his book and delighting in it, not looking at it as something that's oppressive or some list of rules, but rather here's where freedom is found under God's good authority. And then um, finally, practice lordship in noticing the nudgings of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to encourage you to bring your plans before God and then let him guide you. People say, if you want to see God laugh, tell him your plans, right? We tell him, God, this is what I'm going to do. And he says, okay, <laughs> I'm actually the Lord and I'm going to... But see, if we start telling him our plans, what we find is that we're telling him because we're sort of asking him and we're starting a conversation and what Jesus said is, I'm not going to leave you alone. For those who come to Christ and receive him, he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we start to learn to listen to the nudging. God, this is my plan. Mm -mm. You start to feel a check in your spirit. And you learn to go, okay, maybe this isn't a good plan. And you start a prayer conversation where you let God guide you. You start to learn what it looks like to live under his rule and under his authority. And it's a real blessing. I want you to know his word, but here's the main point. I want you to resolve in your heart that it is always better to be under his authority. Is that true of you? Have you resolved in your heart that real freedom is in submission to Jesus's way? Or are you still thinking there's a better way out there and you're running after that other thing? I come back to the city dog, country dog illustration. The city dog is locked in an apartment and there's roads and there's dog catchers and there's people and, and he can't have the freedom to just go and explore because he'd get hurt or stolen or whatever. So the, but the minute that that door gets left open, because he doesn't know what's out there, he darts out into the traffic in the city and runs around and gets lost or hurt or whatever. The country dog doesn't have the door. The country dog has the front porch and he's got the woods and the farm and the acreage. And after a couple of forays down into the woods, he starts to realize you know, raccoons are nasty and skunks make me smell bad and eating whatever that was I ate made me throw up. And, you know, it's pretty good here on the porch. And my master pets my head and he gives me food and water and I get this view. And the country dog eventually gets to the place where he chooses to stay where he's supposed to be because he realizes it's a better way of living. And the city dog is always looking for his escape and thinking, how can I get out? How can I get out? How can I get out? I want you to resolve in your heart that it is better under the rule of Jesus, and to make him your Lord and not just your Savior, to consider doing that this day. Everyone has a ruler. Jesus is a ruler worth following, and real freedom comes under his rule. And as the Christmas hymn says, let every heart prepare a throne. Thursday night, we're going to welcome the birth of Jesus. We're talking about preparing the way. Let's think about putting him on the throne of our hearts and following his good rule because he's a leader worth following. Let's now pray and tell him our plans and bring our lives before him. Lord, I want to thank you for the prophet Micah. I thank you for foretelling where Jesus would be born and the fact that he was willing to come and obey you. Lord, give us the courage to trust you and help us to not run away. I pray that this Christmas would be a time of joy for us and peace and delight that you love us and invite us to come and serve you. Thank you for saving us, Lord. We love you.
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.